That's what we've been studying in the book of Hebrews, is that we have as close a walk with God as possible, and that's been made through the Lord Jesus Christ and him being a better priest and being the sacrifice himself for our sins. So very thankful for that and very thankful for the book of Hebrews. I'm always excited early in the week to study about the book of Hebrews, and then there's a point in the week where I'm terrified about preaching because there's just so much in the book of Hebrews, and we are literally just skimming over parts of it, but uh, we're making good time, and it's not about making good time necessarily, but we do want to get through the book quickly enough that we retain everything that's in the book. So what's one thing that you can tell me about Jesus in the book of Hebrews? He's greater, right? He's greater. He's better. He's better than the prophets of old. We've talked about this over and over. But it's good to remind ourselves that he's better than the mighty angels, even mightier than one angel who defeated 185,000 Syrians. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Levitical law. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the rest of the world. And at one point, the people of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, which symbolizes the world. And Jesus is better than even that. And so we should not be tempted to go back and enjoy the things of the world. That doesn't mean that we don't have fun. That doesn't mean that we never have entertainment. But we're not driven by those things. We're driven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. In fact, he's a priest of a different order, of a higher order, the order of Melchizedek. And if you remember at this point, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, now we got to stop here just a minute because you're too immature to go on. You have a tendency to want to drift away. You are neglecting your salvation and you shouldn't do that. As a, re, as a result of neglecting your salvation, you're stuck on these foundational principles and you are not growing in your faith. You should be growing in your faith. You should not be sluggish in your faith. You should not lack spiritual discernment and you should be bearing fruit. And some of the people in this letter to the Hebrews were not bearing fruit and he reprimanded them for that. And he says, I can't really go on and talk more about Jesus until you decide that you're going to move on to maturity. And so instead of drifting in your faith, Look to Jesus as an anchor for your soul. That's what the book of Hebrews is about, Jesus being the anchor for our soul. He can be so because his priesthood is a greater priesthood than the priesthood of Aaron. It's a priest after the order of, once again, Melchizedek. And so consequently, because he is a greater priest, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. Aren't you thankful for that verse, that promise that we have, that he is going to save us to the uttermost? When we make a profession of Christ, whether it's here, whether it's at a, another church or a religious service, or you make a profession of Christ even in your own home, that's just the beginning of your salvation. Amen? Amen. He's just beginning the work of salvation. He has saved you from the penalty of sin, you're no longer headed on a pathway toward hell, you're headed toward heaven now, but he is not finished with your salvation. He wants you to become like the Lord Jesus Christ in your thoughts and in your actions so that you make a difference 
in this world. We, we need to desperately make a difference in our world, amen? amen? We need to make a difference. Our nation, if you don't know it, is headed in the wrong direction. You know, and I, that doesn't include everybody everywhere, but as a whole, our nation is headed in the wrong direction. It's, it's headed towards secularism, which secular, secularism is just another word for a godless society, a, God, a, a system without God. And our nation is headed that way. It will not survive that way very long, I don't believe. I believe we need a revival in this country. We need to be praying for that. We need to be fasting and praying for revival in our nation. Otherwise, it may not come and we may lose our nation. But thankfully, we have Jesus who is interceding for us and he is helping us live this Christian life. And so we're not doing it on our own. He's helping us. He's helping us to make decisions about how do we love people? How do we vote even? Yeah, I said a political word, vote. We need to vote as Christians, amen? We need to vote. We need to make our voices heard, and uh, that's one way that we can do that. But we have a high priest who meets our every need, and he is meeting our every need. We saw that as in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 9, I believe, we saw the description of the er earthly tabernacle, which is what we saw yesterday if you went on that trip. We saw the earthly tabernacle, and we saw all the different pieces of furniture in there and what they signify. They signify something for the people of Israel, but they are also a foreshadow or a look into the future of what Jesus would do for us in the new covenant. And so as we progress through that earthly tabernacle and we see the altar of sacrifice and we see the brazen laver and we see the holy of holies and the holy place with its furniture, we see that that is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He's gone through this heavenly tent as we see the earthly tent and he has made a way for us to God finally shredding that, that curtain so that we have access to the holy of holies. And that's the only way that we can have access to God. We can't do it by our own work. We can't offer our own sacrifices. It has to be the blood of Jesus. And that's exactly what he offered. And so Jesus himself secures for us an eternal redemption. That just brings us up to where we are today. That's our review. But that's a good review, right? That's, those are good, encouraging words. Jesus is with us. He says he will stay with us. He will never leave nor forsake us. He is going to help us through this. And so let's go ahead and read our scripture for today. If you have your Bible, hopefully you've had a chance to pick that up by now. You know I always use the Bible and we always stand. So Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18, the title of this sermon is Christ, a sacrifice once for all. A sacrifice once for all. Let's read our scripture today. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, 
sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus once for all. And every priest stands up daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart, I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any offering for sin. Where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offerings for sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank so much for these words. A long section of scripture, but we pray that you will help us to understand it. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Help us to remember so that these verses will make a difference in our life today. That after today, we will be more surrendered to Christ, more available for serving in his kingdom than ever before. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I said, the title of this is Christ's Sacrifice Once for All. And uh, we're going to be talking about that. But we're also going to be talking about one specific key verse. And I love, I love the book of Hebrews because every so often it's like there's this verse that is like a lightning bolt that jumps out to you. <laughs> and it kind of encapsulates everything that has been talked to up to that point. And so the verse that I have picked out as a, as a key verse, and it's on your handout there, is Hebrews 10, 14, and it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so what we're going to try to do in this long section of Scripture that we just read is divided up into four different sections that are a little bit more easy to understand. We're going to be talking about how does this one sacrifice perfect us for all time, and at the same time we are being sanctified. If you're, if you're kind of up on your words and you know what sanctified means and you know what perfected means, it's as though that verse were repeating the same thing over again, but it's really it's not. It's not the same thing. But we'll get into that a little bit closer to the end of the sermon. But what can we learn about this? First of all, you can just follow the outline that's on your handout and you know exactly what we're talking about and where we're going. The law, the Old Testament law, is powerless to make us perfect. Can I get an amen? amen. We probably tried that before, right? You probably learned the Ten Commandments when you were 
younger and in Sunday school or maybe in youth group, you learn the Ten, Ten Commandments. And quickly, if you're honest with yourself, you realize I cannot even keep these ten simple rules, let alone all of the other commandments that are given in the Bible. And it's powerless to make us perfect. In fact, its purpose is not to make us perfect. Its purpose is to reveal to us our inadequacies and how inadequate we are in keeping the law. The law is good, amen? The Ten Commandments are good. They should be followed. But they give us no power to be able to keep them themselves. That power must come from somewhere else. Let's remember that the law is merely a shadow of the reality of the New Testament in Christ. So all of these sacrifices that we've been talking about, the earthly tabernacle, once again, these are just a shadow, a, a vague picture of what is going to come. In other words, these things are dull. The gospel of Jesus Christ is glorious and bright and shining when it's revealed to us. It requires these, this Old Testament law sacrifices to, repeated, to be repeated for each and every sin committed. So we've, we've talked about this before. The author of the book of Hebrews repeats himself sometimes, and I repeat myself sometimes in order that we remember those things. Remember that for every sin, there had to be a sacrifice. It had to be repeated over and over and over again. And you can imagine what that must have been like. When you see the size of the tabernacle, we've now seen the size of the tabernacle. Uh, the amount of animals uh, required to be slaughtered for, what, maybe over a million people in this small area. It was a continually a place of blood and sacrifice. And it goes to show us the consequences of our sin, even in our world. Sin spreads everywhere, and it has an effect everywhere. And as we were talking in Sunday school, we are talking about some sins we think are, we just do them and they're confined to ourselves, but they are never that way. They always affect someone else, whether it's relationship with your spouse or, or your kids, they always affect someone else. And this sacrifice under the Old Testament law had to be repeated over and over again. And the other thing is that the blood and bulls and goats is not sufficient to take away our sin anyway. <laughs> and you might say, well what, well, what good was it? Was it any good for them to do the sacrifice? Yes, it was good for them to do the sacrifice if they realized that it looked forward to the coming of the Messiah who would die for our sins. And so people ask me, well, how were people in the Old Testament saved? They didn't know about Christ. Well, yes, they did know that there was going to be a Messiah. If they read Isaiah 53, they knew that he was coming to die for their sins. And so they knew these things. And if they believe and trusted in that and not the blood of bull and goats, then they could be saved. But the, the law itself, the doing of the sacrifices, it never makes us perfect. Did you notice in the reading that we had here today, the word perfect or perfection mentioned several different times. We are supposed to be perfect. And you say, well, how can we be that way? How can we be perfect? Well, that's the good news of the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. 
That's the good news of the, of the gospel. The law, however, never makes us perfect. Our conscience, even though these sacrifices are performed, our conscience under the Old Testament law, our conscience still feels a weight of guilt because these sacrifices had to be repeated over and over again. It was only on the day, this was kind of interesting yesterday, I'd never heard it this way, but it, yesterday there's this, there's this day called the Day of Atonement. And that's when these goats were slaughtered for the sins of all the people. And, uh, and the priest only goes into the Holy of Holies with that blood once a year. And that's when sins were erased. But all of the sins and offerings leading up, they, that was only the recording of them. I'd never heard that way, but it's interesting to think about that. All through the year, they were doing these uh, sacrifices uh, for their sin and it's as if every time they did those had the priest do those they were written down and then on the day of atonement they were erased but it never could make people quite perfect because their conscience continued to bear the weight of their guilt and I, I just wrote down in my notes what we need is a deep cleaning right <laughs> we need a deep cleaning we need something that starts us over uh, we tried, or God tried, starting over with Noah, right? Got right back into the same situation with sin. And so we need a total restore, restart. We actually, we need to be born again, and that's part of the covenant that Jesus brings about. But Jesus himself says, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Matthew 5.48 if you want to look it up. Is that really in the Bible, you might say? Yeah, that's really in the Bible. You must therefore be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so the law is powerless to help us in any way, to bring us to perfection. What can, what can bring us to perfection? Well, it's Christ's sacrifice of his body. Christ's sacrifice of his body is offered willingly. Jesus offered his sacrifice willingly. We see this in verses 5 through 10. Uh, we see this quote from uh, Psalm 40, I believe it is. He says that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desire nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. What's all this about talking about a will? Well, he's talking about his will, God's will for his life, but he's also talking about the new covenant, the new covenant, the new testament, the new, the new will that is given through Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel message, amen? That's the gospel message. That's the message that Christ came as the Son of God, lived a life among us, died on the cross for our sins, rose on the third day, fully paying for our sins and entered into heaven. And when we place our faith and trust in Christ alone, we can have eternal life. That's the promise of this will. Uh, I love this because Jesus is also not only demonstrating what this will is, that it's a change from the old covenant to the new covenant, 
when he comes, but he's giving us a demonstration of how we should be willing to give our lives for the sake of Christ. It, God doesn't desire our sacrifices. He desires our will, our heart. He desires for us to willingly love him and to serve him. So Christ came ready and willing to do God's will, even being tortured on the cross, and he gives that as a demonstration of how we should give our life for the sake of the gospel as well. It's through his sacrifice that we are eternally blessed with salvation. Verse number 10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, he's saying Jesus came and he, he offered one sacrifice which is suffered he offered one sacrifice which is sufficient for all of those who would believe in him. There's no need to repeat the sacrifices if you trust in Christ. I am thankful for that. <laughs> I have no desire to sacrifice animals. I have no desire to do that. But that's what these Hebrews were tempted to do. They were tempted to go back and offer sacrifices again. And so we find out moving on that Jesus is a better priest, he perfects us by his one sacrifice. The Levitical priesthood offered sacrifices repeatedly. I guess we can't emphasize that enough. But really it's because of our nature. It's because of our nature. We have a fallen nature. All people since Adam have a fallen nature. And what does that mean? It means that we have a bent, we have a tendency towards sin. Left alone, we will sin. Newborn babies have a tendency to lean towards sin very early and be selfish and to want and desire things. And before long, you have to teach them not to do things. And it's because they have a bent towards sin and it becomes full-blown in us as adults, if not checked. But Jesus offered one sacrifice, the sacrifice of his body for us. It was sufficient because he sat down. Let's look at these verses here. I think if we look at uh, verse number 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That sitting down is significant, right? Significant, right? Everything in the Bible is significant. When he sat down, it says, I am finished. My sacrifice is finished. I no longer have to repeat that again. Not only am I finished, but it is sufficient. He, he provides on his death on the cross all that is required for our salvation. There's nothing lacking in what he purchased for us by going to the cross. We call this the theological term. You may want to write this down. It shouldn't be new to you, especially it shouldn't be new to the people who come on a Wednesday night. But his death was a penal substitutionary atonement. Now we're going to break that down. We understand what it means. It was a penal substitutionary atonement. Penal just refers to penalty. Jesus Christ paid the penalty. That, those are glorious words, folks. Those are glorious words that he paid the penalty. We no longer have to pay a penalty, but he paid the penalty for our sin. 
So that's the first part, penal substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary, he died as a substitute on our behalf. He just didn't die and that sacrifice is hanging out there. It is attached to us, especially when we believe and trust in him as Lord and Savior. So penal substitutionary atonement means that he paid the penalty, he died as a substitute in our place, and he covers our sin. That's what atonement means, he covers our sin. Those are wonderful words. Here's how it's put by Peter. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Peter really has a way with words, doesn't he? For a fisherman, he really has a way with words. Christ suffered one time for sins. The righteous person, remember, Jesus never committed a sin. He never once committed a sin, but the righteous, he died for the unrighteous, that is for us. And he did it for this purpose. He's going to bring us to God. And he will bring us to God. He will bring us to God. For those whom he has paid the penalty and was a substitute, he will bring us to God. As part of that verse. You can't leave that verse out. And so all he's doing now is sitting around, waiting until his enemies are a footstool for his feet. Which means what? There's judgment coming. Sooner or later, there is judgment coming. One more time, he will stand and come back to earth and execute judgment. That's a day we should both look forward to, but also fear for those of our family members who are lost and our friends, right? We have, we have, a, we have a, I think, a divided affection for that day. We want to see that day come when evil is put down and our victory in Christ is finally complete and Christ is sitting on the throne where he rightly deserves to be. But it's also a day that if we have a heart at all for people that we're hoping is delayed so that we can give the opportunity for them to hear the gospel one more time. Right? Yeah. So let's, let's pray that way and let's begin even more to act that way as people who... I don't, I don't know how to explain it sometimes without see, seeming overly dramatic, but it's as though people are in a fire and we're the only one to tell them that they need to get out. We need to pray that God would continue, and I include myself in this as well, give us a greater heart for people who don't know the gospel or who even misunderstand the gospel and need to be taught what it really means. But the hope of the writer of the book of Hebrews is found, I believe, in verse 14. This is a verse that we should treasure and think about and meditate. It's just a few words, but it's so significant for us. We talk quite a bit in here about what it means to be saved and, and that includes our sanctification that we become holy and become like Christ. And I think this verse 
is very significant. It says, for by a single offering, that single offering of Christ, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Doesn't say everyone's going to be perfected, does it? The single offering we know is Jesus Christ. What does it mean that he, those he has perfected for all time? Well, that's everyone who's believed and trusted in Christ, right? Who have truly done that. And they, their position before Christ and before God has changed. Before they were sinners, now they are sinners saved by grace. And so their position has changed. They have, in essence, been perfected because as they have received Christ, they've also received his righteousness, which has been given to them. So it's a perfection, not that we are literally able to achieve in this human lifetime, but it's something that is given to us. It's the righteousness of Christ given to us so that we can stand before God perfect and holy. Not a righteousness of our own, but that which comes through Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He, said, he goes on and he says, the ones who have been perfected for all time are those who are being sanctified. So if you're not being sanctified, you're not, you haven't been perfected. If you are being sanctified, if you're growing in holiness, if you're growing in the image of Christ, then you can have the assurance that you have been perfected. In other words, you can have assurance that you are saved. So how does a person know if they're saved? Well, you believe and trust in Jesus Christ and you examine your life, are you being sanctified? Are you growing in that faith? And if you can say, yes, I'm growing in that faith, then this is true for you, that you have been perfected for all time. But I see no way that you can unwind those from each other. And someone who has merely professed Christ but is not growing in their faith, I can give them no assurance of their salvation. And the Bible doesn't give them any assurance of their salvation either. Very sobering words, but take that verse and remember, and remember it and meditate it uh, today. And I think, you'll, I think you'll be enlightened by it. Here's a little summary I put down about this verse. Our standing in Christ is that we are perfect. However, it's also true that we are being made holy in our everyday lives. It's as, though, it's as though God is working out what he has done for, with us internally. Internally, we are righteous before God. Now he's working that righteousness out into our everyday life. We will continue to do so, growing in Christ, until we finally see him and we are perfected in all our ways. What a glorious day that will be when we see Christ. And we will be perfected. We will no longer have to struggle against sin but we will be perfected. Then I just want to close real quick by this last section, just stating that confirmation is given by Scripture, that all of this is true. It's, it's as though God is saying, this is what I said I would do, and I'm doing it, even in your midst. And what he basically does in this section of Scripture is go back to Jeremiah 31, 31. We've read that in the past recently. And he says, this is the covenant. This is a new covenant that I will make with them after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. What is that? That's sanctification, right? <laughs> He's doing that. He's doing that right now. You say, God doesn't work in the world anymore. He's doing that right now. 
When we are here right now going through this scripture, he is fulfilling this. He's putting the laws on our hearts and writing them on our minds. You see, the problem with the Old Testament sacrifices is, is that people would just pick out a sheep or a goat and they would mindlessly take it to the Levite priest and check it off. Check, I've got that done. Check, I've got that done. No repentance, no sorrow for their sin. They're just trying to check off and say, I've done this, I've done this. Meanwhile, they would go and worship other gods. That's exactly what happened in the Old Testament. They would check these off. We're doing the sacrifices. We're covered under God. We're covered under Yahweh. What about Baal? We better go please Baal as well. And you can't do that with God. There's only one God, and he is the only one to be worshipped. And this is a testimony from Scripture that what the writer in the book of Hebrews is telling us is true. Then he adds to this, he said, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. No need to have a guilty conscience anymore, right? God has forgotten our sin. He has forgotten our sin. There's no longer a need like, uh, what is it, the book, uh, John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. When he first starts out on his trip to the celestial city, he's got a big backpack on his back and he's carrying it around everywhere. And it was his sins and his guilt and everything, his guilty conscience on the back of him. And finally, he had to surrender and let that go let all of it go, realizing that Jesus had paid the penalty for all of us. And we need to do that same thing. And live free lives. He's provided for us everlasting forgiveness. For those of us in Christ, God never remembers our sin, nor does he ever hold them against us. No sacrifice is ever required again. Jesus' one-time sacrifice is sufficient for all who believe. It's great news. Fantastic. Here's another point of kind of concluding this. Those who receive Christ are utterly and forever changed in heart and mind. Amen? You feel that, don't you? <laughs> I know you guys have been around long enough. You're not going back to the ways of the world. And we need to hold each other accountable for that. We have these great promises. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We live new lives, unfettered with guilt. Unless we let that creep back in. And when it does, we need to have a time of response like we're going to have. If you've let guilt rule your life, and you've not surrendered that, then I'm gonna ask you today to come up front, kneel down, pray to God, and surrender that to God. Have you ever been made perfect? You may say, well, I'm not perfect yet. No, I'm not meaning in this life, but have you ever been saved? Have you ever trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then you need to make that commitment today as well. Are you being sanctified? If not, then you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let your heart be changed by him so that your desire is to be like him. It may be this message today 
that will snap you out of your sluggishness. <laughs> Not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm keeping myself in that mind as well. We need to snap out of our sluggishness and begin serving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, everything that we have. And that's my prayer for you today. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had. I thank you for Jesus, the Son of God, an infinite value paid the price for us that through believing and trusting in Christ we can have eternal life to be perfected by you and to be sanctified by you as well to be on this journey together as a church where we are growing closer and closer to Jesus Christ and it's true that in this lifetime we will never reach that but it's no reason for not entering the pursuit in fact, later on in the book of Hebrews, the writer will say that we are to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So help us together to grow closer together, to love one another, to be understanding, to forgive one another, to practice here in our church what we are to demonstrate to the rest of the world. And help us to be fully surrendered to you in all areas of our life. And when we do that, we will be useful for the kingdom and you will be glorified in this earth. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Page 307 in the hymnal.